0: Please pray with me. Holy God, we pray that you may pour your Holy Spirit down on all of us. May we all be inspired by your voice, inspired by your word, so that we can become better disciples of you and of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we carry on our sermon series we've been going through this summer, a sermon series in which we examine the great stories in the book of Genesis of the patriarchs. Last Sunday, I won't go through all of them, but last Sunday at least, uh, we looked at the first story in the Jacob uh, in the Jacob cycle, the story of Jacob and Esau, the story of uh, Jacob... Uh, getting a birthright from Esau by enticing him with a bowl of red stew. And we said that uh, here is an example of human nature. Human nature is not always pretty. Human nature is not always great. It's important as Christians to be realistic about human nature, um, but to be also lifted up with the reality, inspired by the reality that God is still present. So even as dark as things may be, there are chances for redemption. There are chances for hope, uh, even when it can seem... Uh, tough in the face of human nature. Well, today, today we get to pick up another great story in the Jacob cycle. Story of Jacob leaving his home in Palestine and walking up uh, to Haran. And on the way, as he's walking along, he gets tired, as happens, and he lies down uh, on a stone and falls asleep and has this great dream. Now uh, the. First time this story ever came into my mind was when I was in fifth grade. I was in a program, an arts program, that took me out to Tanglewood uh, in Lenox, Massachusetts, trying to inspire young kids to get involved in the arts, Days in the arts Tanglewood. Well, one of the trips we took was to a place called Jacob's Pillow, which is a dance center there. And I remember showing up, and I thought it was such an odd name, (laughs) Jacob's Pillow. And outside, there was this big stone and I realized, I was like, oh, wow, this, it comes from this story in Genesis 28. And two things struck me as a little kid. One, stones are not very comfortable to lay your head down on. I don't know why he would do that. And secondly, this was a big stone, so Jacob must have been a really big guy. And then later on, uh, you know, when I was in middle school, uh, we would go to these middle school dances, and the last song they'd always played a middle school dance was Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. It turns out Led Zeppelin did not invent that phrase. That comes from Genesis 28, the stairway to heaven. Well, the focus of this story is uh, less on the discomfort of rocks as pillows uh, or necessarily on the ladder to heaven or the stairway to heaven that we find. The focus of the story really is on this dream that Jacob has and on the content of that dream. And so it got me thinking about dreams. How odd a thing dreams are. Think of the dreams that you can remember. Uh, Maybe your dream from last night, or a dream from three weeks ago, or a dream from five years ago. It's fascinating how sometimes they have this unreal element to them. They can juxtapose things that you think, how are they there? Or why was I thinking that? Or where did that come from? There's this amazing thing where they can be very clear in your mind, and then five minutes later, disappear. There's a lot of stuff written on dreams. In the ancient world, uh, ancient people wrestled with this, as you can imagine. Imagine if you're in the ancient world and you're like, well, where does all this stuff come from? One logical explanation for where dreams come from was that they were communication from the divine. In the ancient world, dreams uh, had a holy and sacred significance. We see this coming up in in the Hebrew Bible again and again, not only here with Jacob... Uh, he also dreams a little later on about uh, how to have a good scheme to uh, maximize his sheep flock uh, with Laban. But more, uh, more famously, Joseph also uh, in the book of Genesis. Joseph, uh, he has dreams that really annoy his brother when he has these dreams that he's like the best of all the brothers. And all these uh, you know, sheafs of wheat bow down to him. Uh, his brothers are not happy about that. Uh, later on, after he's thrown in prison, uh, after he was framed by Potiphar's wife, uh, Joseph interprets dreams for the cupbearer and the baker uh, while in prison, and then later for Pharaoh. This is a, these are central elements of the Jacob story. Uh, we see dreams coming up in the story of Daniel, where Daniel is a great interpreter of dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament, we've got dreams uh, where. Again, uh, God visits Joseph in a dream and tells him not to divorce Mary. Uh, that uh, God visits the wise men and tells them uh, not to, and to return to their homeland uh, by another way and not go back to Herod. Uh, that tells Joseph to flee to Egypt in a dream. Dreams are ways that God communicates with us. You see it also in uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. The oldest mythological thing that we have has got dreams in it. You, if you look at different Native American traditions, dreams had quite a bit of significance. Uh, dreams were a way, again, for God to communicate or for the spirits to communicate to humans. Uh, at one of the coming-of-age rituals in many Native American traditions were so-called vision quests, uh, where you might deny yourself a certain amount of uh, food and sustenance as you go out uh, and attempt to have a spiritual experience, the culmination of which is some sort of vision or dream uh, that's supposed to communicate something about your destiny to you. We see this tendency, this, this interpretation of dreams as a message from God, even as late as the 17th century, uh, the, the best-selling book of the 17th century, the New York Times bestseller in the 17th century, uh, was John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And the entire premise of Pilgrim's Progress is uh, the author laying down and having a dream as a communication from God. Well, all this stuff on dreams, of course, uh, took a really big shift in the turn of the 19th to the 20th centuries uh, with the publication of what is undoubtedly the most famous book on dreams uh, that has ever been published, uh, Sigmund Freud's Interpretation of Dreams. Freud took a very different view on the oddness of dreams, this sort of uh, stuff, how how, how come this stuff is there, where does it come from, what's the purpose? Uh, And Freud said, no, this stuff is, is an example of our subconscious coming through that human beings born as babies uh, aren't born with logical minds, that we're born with just these associative minds that work largely in images, um, and that we later have this rational framework we put upon it, but that subconscious is still there, and that subconscious leads to a lot of our psychological issues. Our neuroses uh, can be rooted in the subconscious. Therefore, uh, for Freud... Uh, If you want to try and figure out what your neuroses are, figure out what some of the issues are, your dreams can be a great way of figuring out what's actually going on. And so Freud, uh, Freud had this theory that, again, dreams were an example of wish fulfillment, that you can look at someone's dreams and figure out what your deepest desires actually are. And uh, Freud, when you read some of his stuff, uh, Freud was very big on having uh, interpreting the images in your dreams in a particular way. Like you might be uh, running down a road, and Freud said, "Well, running down the road actually means this." Or, uh, "Well, I was uh, driving my, or I was riding my horse between two carts. It has to mean something." Well, it means this. Uh, and for Freud, of course, the basic drive of humans was uh, the, from libido, from the sex drive. So there's the famous, uh, constantly interpreting all these different images in some sort of sexual context. Um, and of course, later, Freud, later interpreters of dreams uh, basically took apart. Like every great thinker, uh, you you know you come across a great thinker when over time, basically every part of your theories have been picked apart by other people uh, that they're actually worthwhile enough to be picked apart by other people. Uh, but in fairness to Freud, even Freud admitted that uh, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> Modern day interpreters, uh, our dreams are all over the map. Again, scientists look at dreams, we, it turns out we tend to dream during our REM sleep, our REM sleep, uh, mostly, so again, when you fall asleep, you go into this couple hour period of deep sleep, and then a little bit lighter sleep, and, you know, people have put a put electrodes on your brain and figure out there's actually a lot of brain activity going on in those REM periods and that's when you're dreaming. And if you wake someone up during that, when their eyes are fluttering in that REM period, they're likely to be in the midst of dreaming and they'll probably remember it just at that moment. Um, And so you go through several cycles of this while you're dreaming, or while you're sleeping. But still, scientists are unclear as to what these dreams mean. We know that if you deprive someone of sleep for a number of times, your ability to uh, maintain and store memories is severely harmed. Uh, so sleep is clearly really important for the development of memories we've all had the experience of falling asleep at night and then waking up in the morning with a new idea or perhaps uh, something you know, somehow worked into, the, uh, worked into the nervous system of your brain um, so again one theory is that the dreams can help with memory uh, it's a way of your mind rehearsing things going on and storing them in various places how about you? are you a dream person? It's fascinating talking to people. Some people are all about dreams. I have friends who, uh, who have little pads of paper by their bed. And if they get up in the night and they've got a dream, they immediately write it down. And these friends have asserted to me that if you actually are, are disciplined about writing down your dreams, you get better at remembering them. And so you are able to recall more and more dreams as you write them down. Are you someone who writes down your dreams? Have you seen a psychoanalyst who's... Taught you through some of your dreams. Unfortunately, I was trying to think about material for the sermon. I was like, I I don't remember any of my dreams. <laughs> Somewhat problematic. Jacob, Jacob in Genesis twenty-eight is in an interesting situation in his life. In Genesis twenty-seven, a passage that we that doesn't show up in the lectionary, so we aren't reading in this cycle. In Genesis twenty-seven, the chapter before is the chapter where Jacob. Uh, intentionally deceives his father in order to get the blessing from Isaac that is due to Esau, his older brother. In Genesis 27, Jacob lies, uh, even uh, you know, puts on animal skins uh, to pretend as though he's hairier than he is, in order to try and get a blessing from his father, which he does get. The results of this, of course, break up the family. a message from God uh, the, the, the result of this is the family gets broken up Esau is very angry with Jacob and Jacob ends up fleeing from home and so when we find him at the beginning we find him in this verse 10 in chapter 28 uh, it's pretty safe to say that Jacob is at the low point of his life he's been forced to flee home he's all by himself he's not welcome to go back his brother might kill him if he goes back So he's wandering, Uh, he is the wandering Aramean, he's wandering, uh, trying to find a new place and and fleeing to the one place that might take him in, his distant relatives over in Haran. You look around, even though he's got this blessing, this blessing isn't worth much to him at that point. What are the chances that he's going to make anything of himself as there he is, penniless, uh, without much uh, with him and not being able to go back home to those he loves? And it's at that moment where he lies down and has this dream where God reasserts to him, no, exact, no, actually this blessing is true. The things that I promised to your grandfather Abraham and also to Isaac are also going to fall to you. This is something that you have. And Jacob is so overwhelmed by this experience, this reaffirmation that he's actually doing the right thing, that he actually is going to receive this blessing, that he sets up a pile of stones and anoints it and says, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. For this is indeed the very house of God. That when I think about the types of dreaming here, it's an interesting combination of these different concepts. Jacob, for his entire life, has been sort of fixated on the fact that his life is somehow special, that he is the one who should be carrying on uh, the natural birthright of the family, that he's the one who should get the natural blessing. He cheats his way uh, in order to get it. He just has this driving force that this is, in fact, something that, that I really am destined to do. I think a lot of us have these different dreams, these different things that go on within us, that there's something that we are destined to do. There's something that, there's some aspiration that's deeply seated inside us. This is something that's that way for Jacob. And at this point in Genesis 28, it couldn't seem farther from him. But it's something that's deeply within his self-conscious. It's something that drives him on his daily, uh, on his daily life. And here he is, and here that, that, that very thing in his subconscious appears in his dreams. It's both the manifestation of his, self, of his subconscious, it's also, he interprets it as, an affirmation of God saying, yes, you are on the right path. Keep going. I was reminded as I was thinking about this of uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> I know this is like, what, what are some of John's favorite movies? Uh, well, the movie, uh, the movie Patton uh, came out around 1970 uh, starring George C. Scott. Fascinating uh, historical movie, unsurprisingly that I like historical movies. Fascinating historical movie looking at the life of, uh, or at least the military life in World War II of George, George Patton. And you know, one of the key moments in the story of Patton's life, and certainly within the movie, is you know, here's Patton leading uh, the American effort in Sicily, in the war in Sicily, and he very famously slaps uh, two soldiers who were suffering from PTSD. Um, and Because he thought that that wasn't worthy of suffering from. And this eventually got leaked to the press and became a big enough deal that Eisenhower relieved him of command. And so there's this wonderful scene in the movie where Patton, several scenes in the movie, where Patton is stuck without a command in the greatest military conflict the U.S. had ever been in. And what I appreciate about the movie is it shows how this guy, here is someone who is just obsessed with warfare. That he saw from his waking hour that his duty, his destiny, his dream, his greatest aspiration was to fight in warfare, fight for his country in warfare. Uh, he obsessively read historical books on every military conflict that he could imagine. He had these dreams that he was, he was even the reincarnation of previous great generals. He, everything that he did was focused on this one goal and now here he was in the greatest conflict that his country had ever been in and he was left out of the fight. I mean, he is like Jacob in Genesis 28 sitting there. You can see him praying to God. There actually have scenes where he's like praying to God saying, please let something happen. I cannot be left out of this. There just has to be something that happens. And he is, there's just great moments where he is humbled and he basically goes begging uh, to Eisenhower, to Bradley, to whoever else to say, please give me something to be able to do. And then he does get his chance. He ends up leading the U.S. 3rd Army, uh, commands the far right flank of the invasion of France, um, and leads them on one of the more impressive military campaigns of World War II. There's that interesting phenomenon. Those, 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 and again, we're not, I'm not talking about, when I talk about dreams, these aren't dreams that, oh, well, someday I'd like to do this. These are things that are just all-consuming. What sort of things have been all-consuming for you? They, they don't have to be it necessarily great and big things. When I, I was thinking, when I was back when I was a freshman in high school, my high school was, went from 7th grade to 12th grade, and we had the old school division, where middle school was really 7th, 8th, 9th, and then high school 10th, 11th, 12th. And so in ninth grade, I was the captain of our wrestling team, our lower school wrestling team. And I was so focused, I mean, in a way that I was just obsessive, I was focused on winning the end-of-the-year wrestling tournament. Every practice, every waking hour, I was working myself to be able to get to that goal. And as we were approaching the goal, I lost three times during the season. And so I knew I'd face these three wrestlers at the end of the, t- end of the year tournament, and they were all pretty good. Uh, so the day before, I-, I decided to cut weight. And so I cut weight from uh, 158 down to 146 in like a 12-hour period. Uh, I don't recommend that for 15-year-olds in here. Um, but I showed up, uh, and I was successfully able to cut weight underneath one of the wrestlers who would beat me, but not the other two, because they also cut weight to get away from the other guy. So all of a sudden, I found myself in a weight class uh, with two people that I lost to during the season. But there was just this driving sense of just, I have been thinking about this for the last you know, four months, and darn it, I am not going to let this by. And I, I somehow was able to win the tournament. And I remember looking back on that, being like, I still don't know how I did that. But there was just this inner compulsion, this inner drive to make it happen. I've known people who've had this type of inner drive, this type of inner compulsion, these dreams, these aspirations about uh, having children, about being parents. People who just, from a very early age, are thinking about, there's just this deep-seated something there of a desire to be a parent, to be able to raise a child. And how that becomes such a wonderful gift if it's able to happen. I know people who have aspirations for various recreational things, not just sporting things like, like wrestling, but uh, maybe uh, people who, for them, doing triathlons is just something that consumes their life and becomes their dream and, 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 and inner aspirations. It can show up in a professional world, some sort of thing within you where you're just focused and driven around certain things that becomes a deep-seated passion. It becomes a part of your very subconscious. Maybe it's a dream to seek a better life for your family. Maybe you're in a place like Syria, and there's violence all around, and you're willing to make the difficult choice to leave Syria, to go be a refugee, but in order to find a new life. Last year, I was at the Houston Peace and Justice Center's annual dinner, and the speaker uh, was this woman, Sonia Navarro, Navarro, I don't want to mess up her name, uh, who wrote the book Enrique's Journey, and it was a story of these children in Honduras who uh, fled the violence there in order to be reunited with their families, some of their families who had already left to go up to the United States. And she was fascinated that these kids, I mean, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, were traveling 1,000 miles um, in a very dangerous journey, oftentimes on the top of trains, in order to be reunited with their mothers. That, uh, and just trying to figure out what's going on. And here are these kids who, uh, you know, their dream is to just see their mother again. And they're willing to risk everything in order to make it happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, many of them finding themselves in detention centers uh, on the southern U.S. border. And here's Navarro, just fascinated to be like, what's driving this here? What's going on? What's this story of people trying to live into their dreams? Dreams don't always work out. We don't always go after them. But sometimes when we don't go after them, even though they might be big dreams, that's still... Uh, Comes with a penalty. There's that famous Langston Hughes poem What Happens to a Dream Deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or does it fester like a sore and then run? Does it crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Or does it stink like rotten meat? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? There's an interesting bit at the end of this passage that actually is not included in our reading, unfortunately. But if you read the few verses beyond 28.19, you'll find that, and this is something that confuses commentators, but when I read it through, I'm like, this makes perfect sense. After Jacob sets up this stack of stones at Bethel, he then turns to God in his waking hours and says, God, if you're really serious about this and this really happens, then you'll be my God. And what's more, I'll tithe all my money to you. And so commentators are confused about this. Oh, he just got this blessing in his dream. Why would he say this? And I read this through and I'm like, well, of course he's going to say this. He just had this blessing in his dream at this low point in his life and he sets us up and he's really hopeful, but he's still realistic to say, God, I really hope this happens. I really hope this is true. There's still that moment of doubt in him chasing after his great dream that he doesn't know whether or not it'll be there. And he expresses that at the end of this passage. So what are the inner aspirations that you have or have had? What state are they in now? Are they festering now? Are you pursuing them aggressively? Is something wonderful coming to you? Are you still waiting for that to happen? I hope that you can somehow find the courage to follow those dreams. And who knows, maybe you'll get a little bit of insight as you go to bed tonight.